Welcome everybody to Red's Ramblings. I'm joined today with Grace, who originally from China, but moved here to the States, you said 10 years ago, correct? Yeah, I think this year's 11th year for me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Quickly, you know, tell a little bit people about yourself. So I actually born and raised in China, Beijing, China, and I came here to pursue a master's degree in statistics. And then I worked at startups and negotiated race and the title change. And then months later, I quit my job and decided to start my dog training business. So uh, my company's name is Mensa Mats, and I um, specialize in shy, fearful, and reactive dogs. So mm -hmm. I really help the owners who communicate with their dogs so they can live a fuller life with their dogs. So yeah, that's kind of what I do right now. All right. Well, that's, that's a very interesting career path you picked. You said you, you um, moved here for statistics? Yep. I have, a, I have a master's degree in statistics. How, how does, what, what caused you to move to the States to pursue that? Well, so it's a kind of a trend thing. I guess people in China love to, like, if they could, they have, um, you know, opportunity, like, come uh, go abroad to um, study. So that's kind of like, uh, for me, it's actually um, opportunity come up. Uh, well, it's a long it's a very personal story. My father actually passed away and somehow that opened up an opportunity to come over because of funding yeah. and stuff. So that's, that's kind of how it all started. I never thought I would have come over for studying and, but mm -hmm. yeah, kind of happened. All right. Well, one of the things I, I was interested in and I started to realize very, very shortly into researching about Beijing and China in general, is one obviously how vast and large China is so and even you said there's probably not a lot there's definitely a lot that even you wouldn't know about so I got to thinking I was like all right well I got to be specific with what I look up that hopefully she'll 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 know what it is and can explain it more so I kind of dealt with that so hopefully I will probably stick to the usual you know like Forbidden City, Great Wall of China, stuff like that. But I do, I'm going to at least attempt some more stranger things that I learned today that hopefully you'll know as well. If not, sure. we're both be learning together. But one of the things I came across was that Beijing's the capital of China and it has been the uh, capital six different times for like previous governments back in the day, six notable Chinese governments from the Yan State Capitol in 221 BC to the first national capital for the Yuan Dynasty, if I'm saying that correctly. Then also became the Ming Dynasty capital, the Republic of China capital, and Q-I-N-G. How do you pronounce that? Qing. Qing. Okay, Qing uh, Dynasty capital as well. Um, so six different capitals throughout the uh, growth of, of, of the country as well as Beijing is the 16th name that it has had. It has a previous title of Jichen. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. City of G, J-I. G. Okay. So uh, yeah. this full disclaimer, I suck at history. So everything <laughs> you're telling me is new right now. <laughs> 
I know, I know vaguely about things. If we say Beijing is basically uh, how I learned the history is that is mm -hmm. if you know feng shui is just a good place. So that's why <laughs> all those places pick Beijing as capital. That's kind of the history. That's how I interpret it with, without all the numbers and the years. <laughs> <you know? laughs> all right, all right. So this is definitely going to end, end up being a pretty interesting sit down right now. What are some of the things would you say from your time in, in Beijing, though? Like, have you been back since you've moved to the States? Nope. So I bet there are a lot of things have changed and uh, yes. um, haven't gone back for 11 years. Mm. Um, just kind of had no reason to, I guess. And mm. always like always feel like there's no right time. And then they're always busy with other things. But um, I guess part of it, if you talk about culture side, I'd say probably nothing much changed. You know, your city mm -hmm. can have buildings and stuff, but um, how the people there and stuff, probably very few have changed. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. I understand pretty much what you're talking about, I think anyways, because I, I think we kind of have that here. Like things are moving in a direction, <clears throat> but they're still kind of the same. So I do understand that a bit. Hopefully, though, we can get into foods. So my history <laughs> foods. Um, hopefully that's something we, we can discuss because I'm a big foodie. I like a lot of food. <laughs> One of the ones that I, I came across that just by the title alone, I had to ask. Donkey Burger. Donkey Burger. That, that's what I'm reading. You know, if I under, if if that's what I think it is, it's probably not no. donkey meat. I, I don't think it said necessarily donkey meat either. Yeah. But it, 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 the title it, it has here uh, says Donkey Burger, originating in the city of Baoding, I think, uh -huh. in, the, in northern Hebei province. Beijing has adopted the donkey burger as its own. Restaurants offering this dish serve a number of different donkey meals. However, the one to try is the donkey burger. Oh, shredded donkey meat is served in a piping hot, crunchy bun with a green pepper relish. Okay, I've okay. Let me. I'm on Chinese Google right now, so I'm gonna see <laughs> what it is, and I'm gonna explain it to you after I read it in Chinese. All right. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Okay, they actually said, yeah, it's real donkey meat. And then, well, I wouldn't call it burger. It's probably more like sandwich from yeah. we. I want to actually tell you this story. So in China, when I learn English, burger means sandwich. Sandwich means burger. There's no difference. So yeah. I still remember when I first arrived in um, U.S. You know, airport, I went to McDonald's. I said, I want a fish burger. They all look at me like I was nuts. Yeah, for and, us, fish is not a burger, yeah. Right? So burger pretty much only means it's beef. That's burger, right? Other mm -hmm. things are called sandwich. So, so yeah, if you look at the picture, I'm on the, this Chinese Google website. That's how I call it. It's, um, it's <laughs> actually more of like a sandwich. It's definitely not burger. Um, <clears throat> that's funny. I actually never had, I don't think I ever had donkey meat before. I can't. Yeah, I, I've had horse meat, but I've never had donkey before. Yeah. yeah. Another one I have, I have two more. Okay. And this one, this one goes in, in the same term of donkey. This one called rolling donkey. Oh, that's a, that's a dessert, actually, I believe. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, it does say red bean, which I've had red bean before. Red, oh, that stuff's real good. Really? Okay. Most Americans don't like red bean paste. Um, so you must have a unique taste. <laughs> well, at one of my old jobs, one of the guys I worked with, his his wife was from South Korea, if I recall. Oh, okay. So I had it from there, and then at my job now, I work with a guy who's originally from Vietnam. So he, they both bought red bean variety of foods around and yes this looks really good and it, it caught me off guard because yeah like i'm thinking as an american i'm thinking beans are not necessarily sweet so mm -hmm. he's like come on try you know it's a dessert i think the first one i had was a pastry like it was a fried dumpling type deal and he's like it's sweet it's sweet it's red bean i was like no beans aren't sweet and i had it and i was like whoa <laughs> it's <was> really good <laughs> So one of the other ones I have, and I'm, I'm just going to read it how it's spelled here. Okay. It's a very unique name. Okay. Tuckahoe Pie. Okay. I have no clue what that is. Could you spell <laughs> it out? Yes. T-U-C-K-A-H-O-E. Tuckahoe Pie. Tuckahoe Pie. pie. It's, it's, yeah. It says, um... Is a traditional paper-thin snack in the shape of a full moon, popular in Beijing. It consists of a basic okay. pancake okay. wrapped in honey, sugar, and assorted nuts. Yeah, so uh, this is actually very close to one of the Japanese thing because I watch a lot of animes recently. They have this thing, basically like a two-piece of pancake and with red bean paste in the middle. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. And... Uh, I don't think I was a big fan of it when I grew up. It's just kind of a plain, uh, plain taste thing. Um, yeah. Never. <laughs> I, I couldn't. What the heck translation is that? Can't. Don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it gives the Chinese version of it. Huling uh, <coughs> Jabing. But I'm probably totally wrong in that. <laughs> <laughs> it says, according to legend, Tuckahoe Pie originated in the South Song Dynasty, and the preparation method and required equipment were well documented. Oh, it comes from a herb. The herb Tuckahoe has many medical effects. That's where that comes from, okay. And therefore is popular with Chinese people, especially women and the elderly. All right, I didn't read that part first time I looked at it. <laughs> I just saw the title, I was like, I gotta ask about that. That's a very unique name right there. One of the other things I want to talk about obviously is even even on, i know you say you're not big into history but china's very old they a lot of the history from back in the day has been well preserved compared to other countries with palaces that are still pretty much there you know sacred monuments and all that kind of stuff the tradition is very still is very rooted still in in, in chinese culture so everyone knows, for the most part, about the Great Wall of China, which Beijing has a huge chunk of that in it, apparently. The Forbidden City, I'm sure, uh, uh, if you look, research anything on Chinese history, you probably know a little bit about the Forbidden City, which I think is the largest palace in the world, if I recall. But two other ones that I didn't know about, which hopefully you can talk a little bit about, the Temple of Heaven and the White Cloud Temple. I think, yes, White Cloud Temple. Are you familiar with those two? I have to Google, you know, what the Chinese name are because 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Temple of Heaven. Okay, let me see where <laughs> that is. Okay, I know what that is. All right. Okay. And then what the other thing is? Uh, which one did you look up first? I will look up Temple of Heaven. Okay, a uh, white cloud temple. White cloud. Yes. Okay, I don't think I've ever been to White Cloud Temple. I heard of it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I've been there before. Yeah, I think I've seen the Temple of Heaven before, but the White Cloud one, <clears throat> I've never seen before. So, so do you have a little bit you could uh, speak on the Temple of Heaven at least? Uh, Temple of Heaven. So I believe in Beijing. So basic Temple of Heaven actually about sky. It's basically a place you pray to the sky in a sense to hope like there's rain for the season, mm. good weather and stuff. And then we have temple like, I guess, if I translate temple moon, so, you know, mm. that sort of thing on temple of earth. So it's the same yeah. concept. So that's one of those. I'm not sure if there's a very special thing, but I guess it's like one of more famous one compared to others. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. <clears throat> not sure why. Uh, I think it's very close to Forbidden City and that possibly mm -hmm. why it's a little more popular than others. I actually never been to Great Wall before. Um, really? Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people like, oh my gosh, how could that be possible? <laughs> yeah, well, never I been there. I, I guess just growing up, it's something you've always known. So it's, it's not as, I guess it's not as special. So like those of us from the outside, we just hear of it, we see pictures, we know how long it is, how old it is, stories surrounding it. So we're looking at it from the outside like, oh, we got to go. You know, yeah, and, and I mean, just like, yeah, just like if it's like, um, obviously it's not exactly that close to my house per se, mm -hmm. but yes. you almost feel like, okay, it's right out, right out of your house, you actually don't go. I'm pretty sure if I go mm -hmm. visit you, you're in South Carolina, right? Correct. And uh, say, if I visit you, I would say, oh, I read on Google Map. This is a place we need to go visit. You'll be like, oh, that's just an ordinary park. I yes. don't know, but, right? Like, oh, yeah. those are sort of things like that. But the tour is more of like tourist spot, including for Beijing yes. City. I believe when I left China, I think the tickets was super expensive, maybe like really? $100, $150 per person. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely crowded. It's like, yeah. for us, it's like not worth going for the trouble. It's really just, okay, if you have a foreign friend, that's where you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so the locals probably won't go just for fun. It's not that mm. sort of a place. And I'm actually not sure if Chinese parks sell like season pass or anything like that. So I can't, I don't oh, think yeah. they do. So, so it's a little different like here, like, oh, you love a park, you buy, buy season pass, you go all the, day, all the time, right? There is yeah. just like an extremely like a tourist spot like a group sure. of people from somewhere and have tour guides guide you to go or mm -hmm. you have friends from out of town that's a place to go so gosh i when was the last time i went there probably when i was 16 or 17 i don't remember so that's like and then when we were very young we went there with the school the school yeah. would organize trips and that's when oh, we yeah. go there so that sort of thing i i yeah <laughs> well, uh, actually, on that, you, you bring up something I, I just thought of. So, Forbidden City and the temples, Great Wall, you know, since it's for you, it's it was, you know, like behind your house or whatever. That's how it was in your mind, right? So, it was really a tourist thing. Are there some stuff that the local Chinese would 
visit more often or it would be that like everyday go-to thing that maybe the tourists wouldn't know about like you know the secret spots of of the locals huh <clears throat> there actually was a place it's i actually have a name for it let me see if i can't find it i'll give you official <laughs> official chinese name and see what okay. it is this is actually like a, you eventually become a bar area for a lot of foreigners to hang out okay it's really called Beihai park i guess that's nothing special All right. about it um so this is a place that have a little lake and there's a little temple you can have boats there and it's a nice little park i think it's also fairly cheap to go in maybe mm -hmm. like several bucks or something like that back in the time 10 years ago and yeah. then the little town around it they actually starting building a lot of the restaurants and bars make it like a, a, a strip mall around and yeah. so a lot of foreigners will go there to drink and mm -hmm. then they have like a tourist guide to to take you to a place called hutongs I don't know if you've heard of it. I was going to ask you about those because don't mean to cut you off, but I, I found that that same word kept, kept popping up, kept popping up. And I was like, all right, let me look into what this is. And I looked into it and it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me because <laughs> I'm all I'm reading at for this is it's an alleyway. But apparently it's it's regarded as something more. I don't understand. I can't explain that to me, please. <laughs> so it is alleyway, but most of those are special alleyway from very old towns, right? So when they old time build, build houses, we don't have really houses per se, but build the way the kind of like forbidden city, but smaller version of it, that's your yes. house. And then so between the walls, there's like walking ways and they mm -hmm. usually super narrow, only fit one person. And that's mm -hmm. what it makes special. So if you're like overweight, you probably cannot even pass certain places. And then it's basically only for locals to know. Like you will know where to go. If there's no map or anything, you completely from the memory or you grow up in the area, you know where to run to and stuff like that. And there yeah. was a while when, we, when I grew up, they will be have people to tell you that how people cheat the taxi driver. So you will take a taxi, and then you stopped the place and they said, oh, wait for me here. Mm -hmm. And then they will actually go to this alleyway and that alleyway actually um, go to the other part of town. So the person basically just run off through that alleyway. And so then there's a news tell you there's three famous hutongs that if you're yeah. a taxi driver, you don't want to go there, that person is going to ditch you and run. But it, you wouldn't know because only local knows right yeah. and i see it more like if you never see it it's like if you watch european con uh movies from yeah. europe you know the people like little cars very narrow sure. they barely fit the car oh, so yeah. imagine that there's no way to fit in a car some of them are a little wider but most of them basically really fit one person or two people and mm -hmm. so you can like kind of i guess people to think it's very interesting and i did not know the history of how they exactly build i think it's not really on purpose it's just like okay you build two house and then they don't they can't share walls so now yeah. you have to have a space 
and that become a hudong type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's a, my understanding of how it happened. So yeah. from, from, like you said, if you read it, English just called alleyway, how special that could be. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of them. They're random sized, right? And going different places that you would not know. And then now mm-hmm. I'm sure the tourist place, they probably like explore more and have maps sort of thing and tell yeah. you maybe something have a history. Um, that's, I believe that's kind of like what's actually going on. Yeah, because one of the things I was looking at is I guess during the development of the city, some of them were getting torn down to, you know, build buildings and whatnot. And I, they, they mentioned a, a specific one or specific town that they were about to demolish them to rebuild. And like the, the citizens rose up and like, no, you know, this is our, our, our culture, our tradition, our, our history. We don't want you to do that. So I'm, and again, just, just like I said, I'm like, it's an alleyway, right? How is that? <laughs> so I, I knew, I'm glad that came up because I was going to bring it up at some point for sure. Because that, that was definitely one of the things I, I found. Everything else I ended up looking at, I kind of knew a, a little bit about or I've heard about, but an alleyway that kept popping up, I had to ask what, what was up with an alleyway for sure. <laughs> One of the uh, other things I found, and I'm sorry, this is uh, another history thing. China's known for inventing a lot from gunpowder. I think it said like the four, four great inventions, gunpowder, paper, printing, and the compass. But I remember growing up as a kid, watching like History Channel, Discovery Channel, and anytime they would have a special on China, I was right there in the living room, I'm sitting down watching it. And a lot of it, when all the families, the dynasties were fighting up against each other, was I think it's the romance of the, of the Three Kingdoms, if I recall. During or around that time, they, they even invented the crossbow, the repeating crossbow, since gunpowder, basically anything that went boom, from bombs, <laughs> fireworks, obviously, um, landmines, a mm. whole bunch, if it revolved around, oh, handgun, apparently the first depiction of a handgun was from an, I can't remember what dynasty it was, but it was from a, a canvas that was written from like something, I want to say 1200 something, that it gave a small description of what a handgun is. And another one I'm, I'm looking at, and I don't know how to pronounce this right, so I'm going to spell out. And apparently it's a French word, but it's apparently was a thing that the Chinese did way back in the day. C-L-O-I-S-O-N-N-E. It's a form of like pottery or something like that, like China mm-hmm. porcelain. Mm-hmm. Is that something you can speak on? Um, <clears throat> I don't know the history of it, but it's very famous, yeah. and it's a particular i'm not sure it's a particular type of pottery or it's uh the paint i'm not sure yeah they're very colorful that and uh, usually the base always kind of blue um mm-hmm. i uh let me see let me see so yeah it's special and mm-hmm. extremely expensive yeah. and a lot of uh, knockoffs um oh yeah i'm sure Okay, so basically, like, there's metal inside of this pottery, and that's what makes it special. Okay, yeah, I'm seeing it now. It's that, yep, mm. soldering or fixing 
silver or gold wires or thin strips yep. placed around the edges. So that's apparently make it special. Uh, articles long, but I guess. Yeah. And um, yeah, and when I grew up, they would tell you, oh, this is that. I don't ever remember how they teach us why is that or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and all I know is um, there will be like fake ones and real ones, yeah. right? Real ones in the museum, the rest you see all fake. Um, yeah, another inter interesting <clears throat> fact that I thought of, because everyone knows, you know, between China and India, those two countries have are the most populated, right? Both they all have over a billion people. And one of one of these, a statistic that, that came around, it was an older, I think it was from 2016, so it might not be accurate today, but it said that if you had the world's population, that one in five people are Chinese. And when I thought about that, I was like, that, that puts into perspective how many there are when you think of in all of the world, I don't know how many billions we have now, but if one in five of us is Chinese, that's, that's, that's an enormous number right there. So you're, you're, you're originally from China, from Beijing, and there are, I found at least, everyone knows, well, not everyone, because some people actually think that Chinese is a legit language. It's not a language. It's just the, it's just the people. Y'all have Mandarin, Cantonese, and there's, there's a few more. Um, but Mandarin's the most popular. Cantonese is number two. Which one do you speak? So I speak Mandarin. Mandarin is actually the government language. Um, okay. So you, the government language. Government, okay. Mandarin. Now, actually in China, I think I was taught it's more of a dialogue. A dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are actually way more than two of them. I, yeah. Probably like 50 or something. So just really? know every region you go to in China, mm. we don't understand each other. Yeah. Uh, so that's how many of them are. And we even write differently. Uh, some of the languages are spoken only. There's no words. And okay. most of the language has its own characters and everything. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, if I, from here to, you say I were in Beijing and you drive for two hours, you actually arrive in another town called Tianjin or something like that. Okay. If they speak their own dialect, I would not understand them. So, so there are way more than Mandarin yeah. and Cantonese. The reason here people know those two because, uh, you know, Cantonese are also, I believe Cantonese is also a large category of type of language people are spoken down mm -hmm. south. Um, they actually, you know, people from Hong Kong, actually, they have their own dialect and it's not exactly Cantonese. And then people from Guangdong, I think that's a proper, pro, proper Cantonese per se, but they do okay. can understand each other is my understanding. Um, mm -hmm. My dad actually spoke all of them when he's alive, but he never taught me any of it. So I didn't speak any of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think because they're the from southern China, they're the one like originally start import export business. They're near the okay. uh, ocean line, you know. Yes. So that's most of people are actually the first group of people actually go abroad and start business and stuff like that. And I think that's why people in U.S. or including other probably countries that mm -hmm. think Cantonese it's more popular knowing because those, in a sense, the first group of people um, immigrant to other continents, mm. I guess. I hope that makes sense to you. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it even makes sense with the uh, when you said those down there, even though they speak Cantonese, it might be a little different. Because I mean, if you think, you know, you've been in America now, we have different accents. Yeah. You know, like, you're over there in the West Coast of California. I'm in the South. Southern accents way different than yeah, you know, like Northern accents of New York, Boston <laughs> accent. We all know is is a very different accent. So even that we understand each other is different though. You know, it's all the same language, but yeah. you got to know the phrases, the the slang, um, all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, we, we all speak the same language. It just yeah. Sounds <laughs> so yeah, so in China, that's not way beyond accent. Um, mm. So everybody speaks Mandarin with an accent, and in fact,、okay. if you grew up in Beijing, you actually spoke.、Uh, I think it's not a lot of people learning that anymore. They're actually like a kind of Beijing local dialect, so it's not exactly Mandarin.、Mm. And but when we go to school, we learn Mandarin because it's a government language. But、mm. if I go to take a test, how I spoke Mandarin, I would not pass the exam because I actually don't speak proper. Mandarin per se. Okay.、Um, so if you're news anchor in China, you have to pass、yeah. the Mandarin exam. That、mm -hmm. the way you speak have to exact pronunciate a certain word exact ways.、Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So it's a lot of obvious nuances per se.、Um, yeah. And、uh, yeah. So so we do have accent. Like people will hear me talking, they will guess I'm from Beijing. Like、mm -hmm. they talk, somebody talk to me in Mandarin. I know they have accent from somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. That makes. I mean, that makes sense because, like I said, yeah. When if I was to hear someone from New York, I could pick it out. Like, ah,、oh, you're not from here, man. I can tell. <laughs> we definitely have that in common for sure. So we got on on the hutongs. That that was pronounced right, right? Hutongs. The alleyways. Hutong. Hutong. Okay. Okay. <laughs> One of the other ones I wanted to. I don't know when this thing was built. It doesn't say. Okay. Do you know of it? But it, it is in Beijing. The Dragon Escalator. The Dragon Escalator. Yes, the Dragon Escalator. Okay.、Apparently、I mean, I know what dragon is. Escalator. <laughs> it's in the north of Beijing in Longqing Gorge. If I said that right. How do you spell the escalator? Yes, E S C L A. I mean, excuse me, A L A T O R.、Yeah. Apparently, it's the world's largest outdoor escalator. Okay, let me see. Huh? I don't know what that is. I'm looking at a picture. <laughs> I never heard of it. And the north of Beijing. So yeah, place yeah, it looks fairly has... new. So I didn't know if it was been yeah, built after、I、you left or. I don't think it's built while it's there. Let me see if I can、yeah. find any histories of this thing. Yeah, the first thing come up is apparently it's an article in English, which is not helping. <laughs> so I never, yeah, I actually think I went to that park once, but definitely、okay. not with that dragon. Yeah, I mean, I saw this big old dragon. I was like, I gotta ask about that for sure. <laughs> it's pretty new, that's for sure. One of the things I also looked at was, and but. What year did you move to the states? Two thousand nine, I guess. Okay, so this thing was founded in two thousand two. So hopefully, okay. About this, China, uh, excuse me, Chinese Watermelon Museum.、Mm. 
Okay, is this a like a test, dude? <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, I've, I've always in, in doing it, I've always found stuff that even the people didn't know. But apparently, uh, Beijing city proper is one of the heaviest watermelon producing regions. So they built a watermelon museum. Oh my, never heard of it. <laughs> it says founded in 2002, the China Watermelon Museum is 4,000 square meters of exhibits tracing the origins of the watermelon from its birthplace in Southern Africa to its eventual ascent into apparently space. So I learned watermelon went to space. The futuristically modern museum is packed with wax watermelons displays the various varieties from around the world, surrounded by abundant neon lighting. It shows every aspect of, of watermelons from the history to growing methods to China's, and it says in quotations, watermelon culture. Yeah, never heard of it. I am looking <laughs> at the website, I'm like, oh my goodness. And uh, um, I know it's, I mean, in a sense you say, okay, it's in Beijing, but I can tell you that's actually pretty far. Um, yeah. That would be like, if you consider where I grew up, like closer to downtown. So Tiananmen Square, Forbidden City, that's like downtown, downtown, in a sense. Yeah. So I'm probably like, if you know the cities, China, Chinese city actually like in a ring. So in the center okay. and the one ring, two ring, three ring. I was at the three, third ring. And then where this museum, probably like, five or six okay. so that's like you know probably for us it's two to three hours drive mm -hmm. um to get to that place well and in a sense it's very funny nowadays um my understanding is so Beijing used to be very small that's forbidden cities Beijing then they mm -hmm. started expanding the city so now where are those museums at they didn't used to actually being called in Beijing they're okay. kind of through the city expansion, they're being included into the city of Beijing. In a sense, gotcha. at least politically, that's how my understanding is. Yes. They're more in the suburb area, right? Like actually, mm. well, old time will be middle of nowhere. That's gotcha. no one yeah. go, right? Farmland and stuff like that. So now, because the center of city is so crowded and then the city start expanding, right? People start moving to further places, just like how it works in big city here to find mm -hmm. cheaper housing and uh, fewer people. And then they start developing more in those areas. Yeah. So I never All heard right. of this place, but. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Watermelon Museum, you gotta bring that up if you find that. But I think we can get off of like the history and this kind of stuff. I wanna ask you then since, so you've been in, in America now for 11 years, what was one of the biggest culture shocks i guess you could say since moving here you know i think so when i came here as funny funniest thing is when i was in china i suck at two classes english and mathematics okay. suck at english suck at mathematics and i came here i have a master's degree in statistics and obviously yeah. i speak english for a living and so you know part of it's like I definitely, one thing is the education system is very different. I was failing my calculus class when I was in China. And mm -hmm. here I was like, my teacher loved me, okay, in calculus <laughs> class. <laughs> and when I, for me, like they, they taught very differently, the way mm -hmm. how they introduce it and stuff like that. And then um, 
I think that's one thing I feel here definitely when you talk about culture different, everybody would say US supposed to like have a lot of freedom mm. and compared to China, probably more governated, right? Uh, you don't have a lot of speech freedom or something like that. Yes. And on top of that, I think if you, I don't know if you know any Chinese people, it sounds no. like you know some like people from Asia. Yes. Yes. And uh, um, oh, those people are gonna hate me if I try to, you know, stereotype it. Obviously, <laughs> like most of people from Asia country, right? Asians were like very pre um, reserved um, in in a culture setting. Like we're more hold within. We don't like talk a lot about our own opinions. Mm -hmm. So. <clears throat> And I think that's one thing I came here, everybody say, oh, you should voice your opinions, right? And then you should express yourself. So, but most of Chinese people, at least, and also a lot of people from other Asian country, their culture is like, you do not supposed to do that. Yeah. You, you don't want to talk too much about your own opinions uh, or you being grow up, being raised to not, to you're not allowed to have other opinions mm. i think that may be something like kind of a culture difference and it yeah. took me a while to able to you know to share about my opinions or i think the people here would say like being more authentic like yes. really just right. speak your mind um, mm. not try to pretend not to say something just to please you right like yes. just to say what you think and then uh, i think that's definitely one thing it's very challenging and it's funny, not funny, funny, but the part is, so I train dogs for living right now. Mm. And I, one of the, my specialty, the, the breed of dog called Taiwan dog, they actually okay. a feral dog from Taiwan. Now I'm not going to go in political thing about if Taiwan belongs to China type of thing. We're not mm. go there, but everybody would agree it's Asian area. And, uh, those dogs have Asian temperament. Okay. Uh, the dogs are also very reserved and very cautious and fearful. And in, when this comes to dogs, they become extremely reactive and very mm -hmm. difficult to train. So part of it's very funny because I would joke about it. I said, just like the people there. So when you work with dogs like that, you have to go kind of really help the owner to understand the dog's temperament. Yeah. And that's actually from, in a sense, the people's temperament. That was how mm -hmm. those dog, in a sense, to, you know, there's, I'm no scientist, but there's definitely, however that evolution started, that's the type yeah. of dog you're having. They're very, very cautious, very different from dogs here. Like you would say super friendly with people, yeah. just wagging all the time. Those are not the dog I work with. They're actually very cautious and could be aggressive. You try to pet them, they will try to bite you, right? Because they're like, I don't trust people. So it's funny. And I think it's really hard for people here, especially I have clients, if they are like born raised here, they're having a really hard time to understand the dog's challenge. Mm -hmm. And the same with the dog trainers in most of the places here. And that's why I make training Taiwan dogs extremely difficult. Yeah. That's part of like a culture difference there. Mm. Like if you are born raised here, you probably would not really understand what's going on unless maybe you have a chance to go 
to China, say, not just visit. It's very important here, right? When you're a visitor, you actually don't learn really yes. what's going on. Uh, if you really live there and start like living there to understand what how things actually work, then mm-hmm. you probably get a better understanding of, oh my gosh, that's where where a lot of things come from. I have a friend um, who's Chinese and her husband's uh, Caucasian America, right? And they had to live in China for two years. And mm-hmm. we uh, meet up after they came back to the States and we asked him how he felt about China. Yeah. And he said, living in China actually gave him a lot of ideas and understanding of why his wife acting as the way she is. Yeah. Uh, but you would not know if you're not living there. Um, yeah. Just how the, the, I guess the culture shape you and how mm-hmm. things are working. I think that's definitely a huge difference uh, sure. between here and the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. One thing that piqued my interest that you started on was the education. You said over in China, you were failing at math and English. But over here, when you got here, your, your uh, math teacher loved you. So in America, we have the stereotype, you know, the stereotype is Asians are great at math. Right, <laughs> so it's a good stereotype, but it is a stereotype. So I, my question then is, would you say that the way it's taught in China, I guess, is more strict and stringent, and it's a little bit more more lax? So you knew it in China technically, right? But they were asking for certain answers, certain ways that you couldn't really figure out. But when it, when you come here. Same, same math, same math, you know, questions or whatnot, but I guess they did, they were more open to how you came about your answer to where you, you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, well, uh, I think part of like how you came up the answer more of like maybe in, um, not in the higher education realm. So I came here for my master degree. They do care you get the right answer, obviously. They don't, yes. they don't necessarily care. Like you can't write a fake wrong answer said, that's oh, how I sure. think yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. But at the same time, I think biggest thing between China and the US, at least that's, you know, what we learn is always from the news. It's biased. We take yeah. what we think it is. So when I grew up in China, we always say, oh, in US, they have better education. Mm-hmm. And you came to U.S., there people will say, we should do more how China do yeah. to make sure our kids can read and do mathematics equations. Yeah. I think it's really hard to find middle point, right? Some, mm-hmm. some of my clients I actually call in my training dogs called finding the happy medium where okay. the not, you're not actually murdering the creativity, but also mm-hmm. the kids know what to do. They can't read and yes. stuff like that. Uh, so in China, it's more like um, like a, what we actually call it, feeding the duck, right? You, you're, okay. I don't know if you understand that terminology. So how the duck being fed, they actually grab the duck. There's actually a tube. You put the duck, you put the tube shoved down the duck's throat and there's actually a lever, right? Then yeah. you shove it down the food. And then that's, that's how we fed the duck, right? And then, okay. so that's in Chinese education system, especially in lower education, like elementary school, middle school, and high school, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, college is a separate issue, I'd say. So before that, so it's what we call is like a feed the duck system. Mm-hmm. Means the 
this is the bunch of things you have to learn and you have to do this. And yeah. this is the only way you can do this or only way you can answer these questions. There's only one right answer. Now, mathematics, I'd say probably like, okay, most of us probably will agree on one answer. If you actually have a theory about different answer, you're probably going to be a scientist. We have the most famous okay. essays called one plus one doesn't equal to two. That's actually a freaking essay about yes. why it's not, right? And then, but yes, obviously I, most I, of I us, won't, we won't be there per se. Most of us will agree, okay, two is good enough. Um, yes. So, but I think more come to um, other things, including history. Right, we, we talk about the history's historians' history. Right, no one knows what happened, and but in China, our history classes, question and answers, you have to answer the exactly way that the textbook wants you to answer. Mm -hmm. Now that, you know, if we talk about culture, that would be a huge difference because my understanding, when you learn history here, the teacher wants you to write an essay about your own research and your own opinion mm. pieces yeah. and the, how you look at this historical event, right? You find your own interest. So that's not how Chinese education works, right? Mm. And I think in a sense from that, you definitely kill a lot of creativities yeah. uh, because you're not allowed to think on your own and all you want to do is taking tests. So I'm sure their stereotype is Chinese people really good at taking tests. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, question and answer, that's uh, easy. So, but when it comes to being creative, that's when Chinese people start coming, mm. kind of getting behind. And I think here, well, I, obviously my kid's still very young. She's not in school yet. Now my understanding is yet, yeah, people try to like, okay, doesn't want to be too strict. Uh, but then when you let it just loose, that's not going to work either. Yeah. Right. But when you're adding too much pressure, you worry you're killing your kid's joy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think that's where potentially the culture different make the education system difference. And because mm -hmm. the different of education system, obviously you're going to raise different generation because right. that's yeah. how education shape people mm -hmm. um i i i don't know where was the question already but i guess i'm a little <laughs> off topic but now we're on this <laughs> no i i like that I, li I like where you're going with that um but basically to, sim to sum that up it's like over in china it's by the book only whereas over here it's more open to interpretation you can think outside the box and let, let your mind just go as long as you come to the same answer how you get there is a little bit more lenient, uh, you could say. One of the things then I want to get, because it's and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to make an assumption. It seems like you would say that in terms of education, our more open, open-minded, out-of-the-box way here in America is better slightly, I guess, than in China. Would that be fair to say? <coughs> I'd say yes. Obviously, I didn't grow up here. I you know, I, there's no way for me to experience how I yes. grew up differently if I do both. Um, That's fair. But I had a quite miserable time when I grew up in the school system. Mm -hmm. And I think similar things apply here. There are people absolutely hate schools. They feel that still restrict them and not yeah. actually helping them to be successful. And uh, again, there's no one size fits all. But I think people hate school here. If they go to China, they're probably really going to hate it <laughs> even more. Yeah. 
because it can't not even be a rebellion or anything like that. You're not allowed to, right? You're going to have a hard mm. time. And um, um, I think that's, that's definitely a challenge there. So obviously, if now I'm raising my kid here, I would not say, okay, let me send you back to China. So you have a good fundamental um, understanding of mathematics problems. And we use a lot of memory, try to memorize stuff a lot. Okay. Which I hated. So, so like in <laughs> mathematics, you have these tables you have to remember. And mm -hmm. uh, the other day, me and my husband had a conversation. So he just background, he's Caucasian. He's born and raised in California. And then, <clears throat> so we have this mathematics equation. I said, oh, I remember this table. That's why I know the answer. He mm -hmm. said he never memorized any tables but he know the answer, take him a little longer time to calculate it, but yeah. he said, that's how you calculate it. So you never need yeah. to memorize the answer because you know how to get to the answer. Yeah. I said, I like right, but then I'm like, why if you memorize it so fast? So, so you, you know, there's like, kind of like, you may say it's pro and con, but at the same time, it's not like, I don't know how to get to the answer, but I'm like, yeah. I have a faster way because I remembered it. And, yeah. uh, so, so it's kind of like the difference there, but when it comes to maybe problem solving, I probably not going to be as e effective mm -hmm. as him because more of me is like, oh, I, that was on the table. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Right? yeah. <clears throat> so, so yeah, from that standpoint, I definitely say if the school system here really try to help the kids to really about how to create train of thoughts mm -hmm. and come up your own answer, I think that's definitely a skill way more important than remember a table with the answer on them. Um, I hope that uh, makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're trying to say. Then I, I want to jump into, is there something that you feel the Chinese culture is doing better than how we do it in America? Something like, if you could bring it here, that it would probably be good for us. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so whatever I say, gonna piece off somebody listening, all right? All right. And uh, yeah, and <laughs> you know what we're going around right now. I I try to like not get into politics nowadays. Mm -hmm. It's just too too extreme nowadays. Yeah, we're I, I, we're living in uh, some uh, real life drama, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> unscripted, and I think part of it is that I think the challenge here. Some of the people like say they refuse to wear a mask. And they got really mm -hmm. pissed off about it. Um, for me, that's more like probably more common sense than not. I, you know, and yeah. then I think people not as taking it serious compared to people in China. But yeah. I think part of it's maybe culture because government have more power and the people here, they think they're trying to fight their own freedom by not wearing it or try mm -hmm. to do that. But at the same time, I think it's like, also, the, the part not taking it serious as a whole, I think that's, you know, my mother is, she's over 70 years old. She's high risk. So she's really, really cautious. Like, yeah. she's not going outside. She tried to, like, stay in as much as possible. Right. And the, most of the Chinese people I know, they're really, like, cautious. Mm -hmm. And then, but people here, they either kind of listen or semi-listen or completely not listen. And... Potentially, I do believe they're doing more harm. And people, mm -hmm. you know, I know other people, somebody actually told me they'd rather die than not running a business. 
So they want their business keep going. Yeah. And during this situation. Now, part of it, I think the the um, thing people not looking at really is that, I, I'm going to say this, we're going to sound really bad, but hey. Um, <laughs> the thing is, when you get it, say you do get COVID-19, right? I say, right. you don't necessarily die anymore. You're going to be super sick. Yeah. And uh, people don't think it's like how big your bills going to be from the hospital. Can you afford that, right? That's yeah. the real consequences I think people don't think, right? And I have decent insurance. I think most of people fighting this, they don't even have a good insurance. Mm -hmm. And uh, they think, well, I want my freedom. If I'm sick, I'm just going to die. That's still worth it. I don't want it, right? But the thing is, yeah. if you don't die, you end up in hospital for 10 days, being put mm -hmm. on ventilator. Wow, that's going to be a huge bill waiting for you afterwards if you didn't die. Mm. And for me, that's more real consequences than people yeah. just say, hey, right? And then if I can take something from China, you know, I lived through SARS when I was in high school. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I didn't take, I don't think it's like as bad as right now, obviously, so it wasn't a pandemic or anything. But people like really like, oh my gosh, there's a disease going on. We need to take precautions, right? So, and this time I think like, as far as my understanding, uh, I reach out to some of my Chinese friends. They are all like, even though they take it seriously, but they're really calm. They're more calm than the people here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they're like, okay, it's, it's not that bad. It's just happening. We just stay home and we get mask and we just wait it out. Mm. That's more of the mentality I'm getting from my friend in China. Now people here, well, the initial panic is out of toilet paper. <laughs> That's what's the, at the beginning. And now people like, okay, cooped too long. So now they want to yeah. go out and jump in the swimming pool. Um, so, you know, if anything, bring in, maybe it's common sense. That's really, <laughs> <laughs> it's so no. hard to have common sense nowadays. Um, I, I, you know, those are, I think, people not really getting the consequences in a sense, like understanding what could be the harm, even though we're saying, hey, you could get really sick. And Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> one of the things I've noticed as this has gone on, um, I like how you said the common sense, because I found that like the only thing really common about common sense is everyone seems to think they have it, you know? That's about it. Um, well, Two things I, I want to mention because I, yeah, I don't really want to stay much on this topic either, but okay, here we are. We're going yeah. through. One thing for sure that I've realized, I, I think of more of the Japanese culture when I say this, but since that is part of the Asian culture as well, is the, you know, respect and honor is huge over there for sure, right? Um, and even before this, you would regularly regularly see people walking down the streets in Japan with masks. Like it was just everyday life. So for them, it's like, all right, we are already doing this, so it's it's not a problem, right? They have no problem with that. I'm sure it's pretty similar over there in, in China and Asian culture, no no matter where. But one thing I've I've it's been, I guess, shown more now here in America that has always been here but with this it's amplified is the right word to say 
is that a lot of Americans are, well, it's not happening to me now. Why do I care? Like you said, they're not looking into what could happen, what could happen next week, tomorrow. It's like, well, I'm not sick now. You know, whoop-de-doo. My family's okay now. Whoop-de-doo. And that, that I think is, I think that's definitely a big problem that we have for sure. Because like, like you just said, you, you have your, your mother, she's in her 70s. She's high risk. My mother's in her 60s and she lives with me. So she's high risk. So me, if I was to get it, I'm pretty sure I could fight it off relatively easily. And I have decent insurance as well. So I think I'd be okay. I have a six-year-old though. A six-year-old could probably fight it off pretty easily too. Doesn't matter. I don't want my six-year-old getting that regardless. Same with my mother. You just don't want that to happen. There's, there's too many people that that instant gratification is, is so rampant here in this country that they don't think of others. Empathy is dying, if not dead. Um, I, I, that's definitely one thing that started me into doing these conversations with people from all over, um, e even like people with you who are from another country but living here now or from a country but living somewhere else is, you know, finding out that we're all, we're the same. We come from different backgrounds. We grew up a different way. We know different languages, different religions. It doesn't matter when it comes down to it. We're all generally, we have a lot in common no matter what. And I, I, I don't really care if people get mad and comment, oh, you hate America. It's not the case. I was in the Army. That's not it. Um, but that single-minded, arrogant, it's our way or the highway type mentality is not helping anybody. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm leaving at that. Um, man. Woo! <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, and it's challenging, that's for sure. Yes. It definitely is. It definitely is. It's, I'm curious to see what's going to happen, not just with what, how it's happening here, but around the world, whenever everything calms down and there's a cure or whatever. I'm curious to see where everything's at, because it's going to be different no matter what. No matter, no matter whether the cure is next week, next month, next year, there's going to be a big difference in how things are going about around the whole world. Enough about that, though. <laughs> so go ahead. I could go on and on, but I don't want to right now. Go ahead, Grace, if you don't mind. Uh, I want to go ahead and wrap this up. I'm getting a little hungry. Um, tell, you know, you said you have your Mensa Mutts uh, business going on. Mm -hmm. So tell a little bit about that. You're, you're, from, you're from over in California. I'm sure if someone has a dog in California is listening, maybe they could reach out to you. So let them know where they can find you. And after this, we'll, I'll get with you and put links into the description for how people can reach out to you. Awesome, awesome. So um, all my training right now, obviously virtual. So I have okay. clients okay. from Canada, right? All over the world. So all as right. long as your internet um, get in touch with me, it's no longer an issue nowadays. And gotcha. so the easiest way to get in touch with me, I actually go to my website, mensa-mats.com. And mm -hmm. I have a free report for people who sign up. It's actually an article I wrote, like a debunking two biggest industry norms. And as right. well, so three things you can do to really help you reduce your dog's reactivities. And so people can just go to the website, you know, type in their email, they'll get the report. 
then you know there's tons of information i actually write daily to my email list and to share mm -hmm. dog training tips and everything like that a lot of my um dog owners working with me they actually get a lot of value out of the things that's kind of free i have youtube channel and stuff too so they watch what i do okay and then there are people obviously if they need more hands-on per se hands-on no longer actually yes. hands-on um <clears throat> help or their dogs very very challenging so then they will probably do more training like private or group session so the dog i work with in general is like what i call them shy fearful and reactive um but in common sense a lot of people who think their dogs are aggressive more than likely not necessarily because their dog's aggressive it's actually because their dog's really fearful yeah and the aggression just part of the symptom to reflect on the fact that dog's very insecure kind of like people in a sense <laughs> uh, it's very very similar you know yeah. bullies are the very insecure people yep. uh, but they're acting like they're really strong and those are a lot of our dogs and uh, Taiwan dog happened to be the most type of dogs I work with because I happen to have a Taiwan dog myself. Mm. And they happen to, because they're feral, they're not as domesticated compared mm. to a lot of dogs that you might get here. They are inherited a lot of those fearful and skittish and reactivity type of personality traits mm. that make them extremely hard to work with as well as I think most of trainers failing dogs like that. The, the okay. traditional, you know, the obedience and stuff like that, usually not working as well with Taiwan dogs. So that's kind of the type of specialty I work with dog owners who, especially I say, if you as a dog owner have worked with like tried everything, you think you've yeah. tried everything, right? The obedience, the medication, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then you went to some reputable trainers and you did all those things and you're still struggling. I might be your last stop. Right? Yeah. Actually, I, I have clients that uh, have three trainers before me and yeah. that's where they stop at. So, yeah, the best way, you know, obviously it's website, mensa-mats.com. That will be the easiest way to get to know me. In a sense, I, I really like I'd love to people that get to know me a little more before they even want to work with me. Uh, yeah. It's not like you're not going to call me and say, hey, this is how much I charge. You're going to pay me this much, right? Yeah. So yeah. go to my website. There are tons of information. Get to know me a little more and see if we're probably a good fit. Then you can mm -hmm. decide what's next. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, cool. <clears throat> uh, ho hopefully you'll get a few uh, international customers. From this. <laughs> awesome. I do got a few now. <laughs> <laughs> So again, I, I want to thank you for joining me. It was nice to talk to you. We kind of went off, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you again, Grace, for joining us at Red's Rambles. Yeah. I mean, hey, you take care of yourself. Uh, you too. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much.